6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 15 through 19. Well, we're in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to take a look at chapters 15 through 19 tonight. And uh, just by way of a review, I want to ask you the question I asked before, what is your most important stewardship? We're all, we all have responsibilities. What's your highest or most important one? Is it your career? I think most of you are beyond that. Is it your family? Your wife would certainly nod in agreement there, or your spouse itself, or your heart. It's astonishing to realize your primary stewardship before the throne of God is none of the first three, but your heart. That determines everything else, and we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. Just back in chapter 4, we saw, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything else derives from that. Everything else derives from that. So we're in the book of Proverbs, which is God's book on how to wise up and live. This is a book of practical counsel for virtually everything that you'll confront on a daily basis. And uh, it's far beyond just keeping laws. You know, we spend so much time in Bible studies talking about keeping the law, this, that, or that. So this is... This is this book focuses on aggressively addressing a dynamic life, not hiding, but facing the realities and uh, in terms of uh, attitudes, conduct, and so forth. And it's the, the elements of the book are in these little bullets, little succinct um, epithets, short sentences uh, that are long on experience. And uh, so... Let's also remind ourselves what we're dealing with here is not simply a collection of uh, Solomon's wisdom in the traditional sense. This is part of the Holy Scriptures. And all Scripture, we understand, is given by the inspiration of God. Now, the Greek there is very specific. The word in the Greek really means God-breathed. And we now know from computer studies and other analyses from the texts, both Old and New Testament, that you remove one letter and the properties fall apart. There are heptatic structures in the New Testament that are astonishing, but they hang on the fact that, it's, that God superintended every vowel, every consonant. And clearly the rabbis have re recognized that from the, in the Torah from the beginning. And uh, so let's keep that in mind. And so... As Paul tells his protege, Timothy, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for four things. For doctrine... Oh, actually, I didn't do this here. We'll go on here. Okay. There are three classes of people who desperately need wisdom. We're going to describe... Throughout the whole book, there's three classes of losers. The scorner, the fool, and the simple. And each one of these are a little different. Scorners mock at God's wisdom. We all know some, I think because it's too high for them, and they won't admit it because they know everything. There are Christians, so-called, in quotation marks, on the radio and on television, that uh, are humble enough to admit that they know it all. 
And when they die, wisdom will die with them accordingly. The Hebrew word for scorner, of course, is to make a mouth. And these are big mouths we're talking about. And uh, so, of course, they never profit from rebuke. And as a result, they one day will be judged. And by the way, that judgment will not be before a jury. It'll be before, it'll be before the boss himself. The fool, well, he's, uh, that's so much dense, sluggish, careless, self-satisfied. Nabal is the word in the Hebrew for fool, and he's also a good example in 1 Samuel 25 that we talked about in the past. The fool hates instruction, is self-confident, and talks without thinking. We're going to talk more about that tonight, too. And uh, he also mocks at sin. Be careful. Be careful. We are all guilty, occasionally, of making a mockery at sin. It's an easy subject to get a chuckle in some irreverent way. We've all done that. No, the fool mocks at sin. The simple are those who believe everything and everybody. In other words, they may mean well, but they lack discernment. Boy, there's a lot of those around. We had a president like that a few, a few administrations ago that gave away the Panama Canal. And his casualness towards Iran murdered a million and a half people and set up the, some of the problems we did. He, he meant well, but good intentions are not enough. These people are easily led astray by others and lack understanding. They cannot see ahead. And because they can't look ahead by guidance, they always walk into trouble. And of course, the opposite of these three losers are the winners, called the wise here in the, in the book of Proverbs. They listen to instruction. They obey what they hear. They store up what they learn. They win others to the Lord. That's our job, gang. We worry about a lot of other things. We worry about a lot of people and responsibilities who are making a mess of it. Judges and courts, politicians and the legislature, the executive branch, mishandling of this, that, or whatever. No, that's not our job. Our job is to vote and, be, and do the best with our representation, but our job is to win others to the Lord. That's what we're here for. That's what we're all about. That's what pleases Him. And, of course, to flee from sin. We need to really deal with our spiritual hygiene. And, and we also to watch our tongue. And to be diligent in the daily work. You know, it's interesting. The Bible calls us to diligence in our work. Christians who are not diligent in their work are not biblical Christians. And, of course, the results, the scorner rejects wisdom, met instruction, listened to folly. We have two siren calls here, so to speak. Folly and wisdom are, are, are uh, in, in rhetorically in, the, in a feminine gender. And they call. And you listen to wisdom or folly. And... Uh, the fool rejected wisdom, was led to death, listened to folly and received death. The simple reject wisdom, went to hell, and listened to folly and ended up in hell. So it's who you're listening to, who you're following. One of the key verses shows up in chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, most important thing in your life. Most important thing in your life. Do you have an awe and respect for God? That's more than memorizing Bible verses. It's more than attending church every Sunday diligently. It's more than any of those things. You know, do you really have a moment-by-moment -moment awe and respect for the Lord? There's another verse. As I'm sorry, whenever I go back to sort of recap some of the previous lessons as a warm-up here, I cannot skip Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Boy, we need to know that. What a, what a great life verse that is. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Boy, there's nothing more comfortable and encouraging than to know you're in his will. 
You're doing what he called you to do. When you know that, Katie, bar the door. Nothing can stop you. Ponder the path of thy feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or left. Remove thy foot from evil. Chapter 5, you may recall, was sexual purity. We went through that sexual sin will always disappoint. The experience goes from sweetness to bitterness. The book of Proverbs emphasized the importance of looking ahead to see where your actions will lead you. Check out the destination before you buy your ticket. Realize where you're headed. Sexual sin will always disappoint. From gain to loss. Temptation always gives hopeful promises. If it didn't, people wouldn't do that. Promises are always empty. Sin is the most expensive thing in the world. From purity to pollution, of course, in contrast to marriage, where God encourages sex, sexual behavior in the marriage. It's a beautiful river. Brings life and brings refreshment. But outside marriage, it's a sewer that defiles everything it touches. And from freedom to bondage. The kind of bondage that can't easily be broken. This is by summary. Very important chapters. Chapter 5. Chapter 6 focuses on business principles, interesting enough. God has a hate list. Remember we went through that. And what's number one on God's hate list? A proud look. A proud look. Look on everyone that is proud. Bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. These are all derivatives of of pride, by the way. Heart that divides wicked imaginations. Feet swiftly run to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that sows discord among the brethren. But he also closes chapter 6, again, with tying all this to sexual sin. Because it results in losses. It's bad business. They lose the word of God. They lose wealth. They lose enjoyment. They lose their own good sense. And they lose their peace. So all of these things should remind, we should always be reminded we have a bar of soap. The Christian's bar of soap is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can't get out of these things. You can't get free of this bondage without him. All these self-help things, all these alternatives are fruitless. And if you check the statistics, it's astonishing to see the contrast between faith-based responses to some of our social problems and the alternatives. No, Jesus Christ is in charge. If we confess our sins, that means we need to own them and acknowledge them. He is faithful and just. It's His action, it's His faithfulness that we count on to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm always reminded that fish are cleaned after they're caught, not before. And then we talked chapter 7. It was a detailed uh, chapter about the lure of the harlot, how this young man gets tempted three ways. He tempts himself by allowing the opportunity. He is tempted by the woman itself aggressively. And he also tempts the Lord. Now, that's a surprise to many. We tempt God when we deliberately disobey him and put ourselves in situations so difficult that only God can deliver us. When you get yourself in that kind of predicament, you are not only in trouble in many respects, you are tempting God. And to do so deliberately is, is uh, an act of effrontery, among other things. Now, we also talked a little bit about Hebrew hermeneutics, where they have the peshat, the direct literal meaning. We have the remez, the allegorical significance in some cases, a hint of something deeper perhaps. 
and uh, the Darash, which is the application personally, the homiletic or practical application. These three levels of meaning are parallel in Christian hermeneutics, hermeneutics being the theory of interpretation and so forth. In the Hebrew world, they have a fourth level they call the Sod, which is the mystical or hidden meaning. We're going to encounter a gem of an example of that uh, in a later chapter as we go on. Not tonight. But uh, in, when we're in chapter 7, we also uh, springboarding from this idea, uh, and these are memorized by rabbis by the term pardes, which means garden or paradise, but it's the P-R-D-S uh, acronym, if you will. The Sod in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, Solomon is the collector of dark sentences, and we're going to discover what that really means in a few more uh, chapters. But that the harlot there may symbolically represent Babylon, Nimrod, the hunter of men, Semirabas, the Tamas legends, and uh, Christmas, Ishtar, ob obviously, are uh, derivatives of pagan practices. And fornication is a term in the Bible used of spiritual unchastity, not just sexual chastity. And so there's nothing new in the, in the New Age. The New Age is simply a repackaging of many of these ancient Babylonian ideas. Uh, it's interesting how we we're in a season where we're celebrating Christmas. You can't find any constructive celebration of birthdays in the Bible. I'm not disparaging it. Anything that causes us to stop and consider that God gave us a Redeemer. Uh, we know it wasn't in December, but that's neither here nor there. That's a church tradition. It's rather interesting to discover that if you do study birthdays in the Scripture, they're always negative. There's an issue about Pharaoh's birthday. There's an issue of Herod's birthday when he killed John the Baptist. And there's an issue of, uh, of Moses' birthday when he went up to Mount to die. So um, it's a, uh, uh, if you want to make a thing of that, you can have some fun with that probably. But uh, birthdays in the scripture, I don't think, have any specific constructive significance. And that, but that should not deter us from celebrating the season that we've chosen to celebrate, in which we celebrate the incarnation of the Redeemer. And, uh, but uh, if you really want to understand Christmas trees, I put Jeremiah 10 in your notes, and I'll leave you with that. We'll move on. In chapter 8 is the dessert of the series up to the first. The first nine sections, uh, chapters of the, of the book of Proverbs are a section. Chapter 8, sir, I consider the dessert. That's the chapter on wisdom in the personification of Jesus Christ. He said, in the volume of the book it is written of me, and indeed it is. And uh, in the scriptures, wisdom means the ability to use knowledge properly. It occurs in the book 37 times. But for you and I, for the believer, it means Jesus Christ. And, uh, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And, uh, so, and there's many other verses that suggest that. And uh, so, also in chapter 9, again we have a verse, and many commentators feel that 9.10, um, 10th verse of chapter 9, is the key verse of the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. And, uh, but anyway, the, the, the contrast of wisdom and folly constitutes the first chapter, or first section, if you will, of the book of Proverbs. Then comes a, a chapters 10 through 24, which are set in order by Solomon himself, apparently. Then there's a group of them that are set in order by the men of Hezekiah. He actually, Solomon wrote apparently over 3,000 of these things. But a number of them were added by Hezekiah in the days of Hezekiah, uh, and they're collected for chapters 25 through 29. And then we've got two chapters near the end that have some very exciting surprises. I'll, I'll hold off till we get there. So we've just summarized the first section. We obviously, in tonight's study, 
are going to continue our pursuit of the second section of the book, the Proverbs of Solomon, chapters 15 through 19. But I have a question to ask you before we go on. What, you know, we're, we're, we live in Idaho, and there's a, lot of, there's a high percentage of the population up here that collect guns and things. What is your most dangerous weapon? Of all the things that you might own, or do own, what is the most dangerous and the most difficult to manage? And most of you, very good, I heard it, your tongue, absolutely. And that sounds like, you know, uh, Sunday school cliches. No, let's see what, the, the, let's first of all talk about the good side of the tongue. When it's used for good, the tongue is like valuable silver, according to Proverbs 10.20. A beautiful and fruitful tree of life in 15.4 and several other places. A refreshing well of water. I won't ask you for a show of hands, how many of you have a tongue that is a refreshing well of water? And, uh, or a healthy dose, dose of medicine, and so forth. The godly tongue should be used for the right purposes, which would be what? Bringing peace, giving wise reproof to the erring, delivering lost souls from death. Do you realize that your tongue can deliver souls from eternal death? It's astonishing to realize what... And of course, teaching all this through teaching the people the things of the Lord and carrying the good news of the gospel. That's, that's the highest use of your tongue. But let's talk about the, the downside here. The tongue is guilty of tail-bearing, lying, talking too much, talking too soon, flattering, and quarreling. I won't ask for a show of hands. I suspect there are some among us that may have experienced one or more of these. Huh? And I'm being a little facetious, I think. Now, tail-bearing we talked about in depth last time, but I couldn't pass it by. Moses warned about this sin in Leviticus 19.16. And we encountered it, of course, in the previous session. Love covers all sins, the Scripture tells us, in a number of places. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's a great tragedy within the body of Christ, and that's management by hearsay. Uh, as you know, I, uh, we have had a practice over the last decade or so to publish briefing packages on various topics. We generally do the commentaries that you're familiar with. We also do briefing packages. We take a particular topic and try to deal with it. And I have been asked by a half, almost a half a dozen major pastors across the country to please do a briefing package on Matthew 18. And I've refused because I know enough about the situation to know that I'd, I'd be, be drawn into the politics of some very, very tragic mismanagement uh, in, uh, in some of the major ministries that are involved. It's disturbing to me. I spent 30 years in the corporate boardrooms. And, and uh, if I, I have a technical specialty in information sciences, my professional specialty is in, is in management sciences. And uh, as I watch the breach of ethics as I watch the absence of opportunities to be confronted by your accusers, as I watch careers cast aside on the basis of unsupported hearsay, that this is characteristic of ministries that just astonishes me. And Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18, has a procedure. How you go about, having, if you have a grievance of some kind, how you go about it. And it, I have actually heard senior pastors say, well, that doesn't apply to them. What a tragedy. 
There were some very, very conspicuous public issues in Southern California that when they first emerged, I thought, this is delightful because I can use these as an example because they're in the public record. And uh, almost did. Um, there were some circumstances that occurred that contaminated the cleanliness of the situation. So I backed off of that one. But um, it's hard to deal with these issues without anecdotal examples. And if you do that, immediately it plunges you into the politics. And you can very easily be guilty of offending the same way you're criticizing them offending. And so forth. But management by hearsay. You need to be alert to that. We need to stay away from the tail-bearer. Not only is the tongue an instrument of the Spirit, so is your ear. So is your ear. Stay away from the tail-bearer. Stay away from the kindler of fires and the destroyer of friendships. These are all admonitions we're going to encounter in, in, in the Proverbs. Specifically, I put them here, collected them here. Tail-bearing. Words can be as deadly, if not more so, than weapons. Solomon compares deceitful words to three different weapons in, in Proverbs 25. A, a battle axe that crushes at close range, a sword that cuts, or an arrow that pierces and can be shot at a distance. Your tongue can be the equivalent of each one of those. You can crush somebody by an inappropriate innuendo or disclosure. A sword that cuts... And, of course, the arrow analysis is one because it, be, it can be a, at a great distance. Well, let's move to the next one, which is a close cousin, lying. God hates a lying tongue. We went through that in chapter 6. A lying tongue is only covering up the sin that's in the heart. It's evidence of something you normally can't see. Only God knows the thoughts and tents of the heart. But you get a clue when you hear what comes out of the mouth. It's deceit in the heart that makes a statement a lie. What makes it a lie isn't its truth or falsity in an absolute sense. It's the intent of the heart that it manifests. You can, you can lie by telling a fact that happens to be true in a way that is devastating. And vice versa. The Bible tests and reveals the intents of the heart. We hear that from Hebrews 4.12. Only God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you know why that's in the Scripture? To keep the personnel department out of the act. Right? Lies are like cutting swords, but the truth is like a healing machine, the scripture talks about. What a contrast. Truth is eternal, but lies will be revealed and all liars judged, ultimately. But for many, the damage has been done. Truth will deliver souls, obviously, but lies only lead to bondage and shame. Lies always lead to bondage and shame. And the other thing I wanted to emphasize, liars enjoy listening to liars. Be careful with that one. That phenomenon can be a mirror of something you need to understand. Liars enjoy listening to liars. See, the heart controls the ear as well as the lips. We don't think of that very often. But there's a time to turn it off. There's a time to walk away. There's a time not to receive what they're trying to tell you. All liars will be punished, Proverb promises in chapter 19 when we get there. And when they eat their own words, it'll be like gravel. 
the scripture tells us. Hell is waiting for one who loves and practices a lie. Revelation 21.15 lists the liars as those that are outside. Well, let's go to the next section. Besides lies, there's another issue of the tongue. That's talking too much. How many of you know anyone, someone around you that talks too much? Anyone? Got a few hands, okay. Truth will deliver souls, but lies only lead to bondage and shame. Oh, I pushed the, I'm sorry, I pushed the wrong thing here. <clears throat> the fool talks too much and talks his way right into trouble. His mouth becomes a trap, and he himself is snared by his own trap, if you will. We covered that in chapter 6. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. A loose tongue leads to poverty and foolishness. Proverbs 14. Many people would rather talk than work. How many of you know one of those kinds of people? Probably had them as some subcontractors, haven't you? A controlled tongue means a safe life. A controlled tongue leads it. A person of few words is regarded as a person of knowledge. I love this one. Sometimes you can really stand out in a group by just keeping your mouth shut. Because when you don't say anything, they assume you know. Don't open your mouth and reveal you don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll see a very humorous example of that before we get through here tonight. Okay, talking too much is one part. Talking too soon is listed. Even in the New Testament, James says, Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. I haven't got the slow to speak down yet. I'm working on it. Proverbs says, Restrain the lips until you really have something to say. It's an, it, it fascinates me to see some of these people that are always talking, the motor mouths among our kids, how little content there is, or certainly little relevance. It's not a case where they've just got so much to really say. It's, it's and well, you know, I don't have to fill in the blanks. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, as you study his word.